0: Baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to Him. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that you have May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's sermon is brought to you by a confusing piece of Scripture. I was reading the assigned passage uh, from 1 Peter This week and all of a sudden thought, Jesus went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. What does that mean? And so I thought that before I got to work on figuring out what the sermon was going to be about, I better find out what Peter is saying there. And true to biblical form, finding out what the Bible meant resulted in having good news proclaimed to me. Shocking, right? I read the Bible, worked to understand it, and thereby heard the good news. And now I'm excited to proclaim that good news to you. So, in this hard-to-understand text from his first epistle, Peter talks about baptism, about Noah, about Jesus preaching to those spirits in prison. There's just a lot going on in this text. And in order to understand it, And find the good news in it, I want to remind you of a very cool thing that we learned from Chad Bird at our annual parish fall retreat this past October. Those of you who were there will remember, if you weren't able to be there, his recordings are on the website. I encourage you to check them out. When Chad was with us, one of the most interesting things he talked about was what he called appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, when I first heard him use that language, I assumed he meant typology, as in some thing or event or situation that would point to Jesus. So-and-so in such-and-such a story is like Jesus, a foreshadowing, a hint. But that's not what Chad meant. Instead, he explained, showing us a number of examples, that Jesus, the actual Jesus appeared to people during the Old Testament. The most famous example of this, not that I'd ever thought of it before Chad brought it up to me, is in Exodus 3, when Moses encounters the burning bush. We read, starting in verse 1 there of Exodus 3, that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of the god. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Simple enough, right? Most of us probably know that story really well. But look closer with me. The first thing that Chad taught us was that the word that is translated angel here, as in the angel of the Lord, doesn't actually mean angel. It means messenger. So we can immediately lose all the angel imagery that comes up in our minds when we hear that word. There's no wings or harps or Valentine's Day bow and arrow. This is not necessarily a created being, a heavenly creature. It's a messenger from God. But that complicates things too, doesn't it? Because when the Lord sees that Moses turns aside to look at this bush that is on fire but not consumed, he calls out to Moses, out of the bush. So, who's in the bush? Is it Yahweh? Is it a messenger from God? Is it Elohim? It's complicated, and it's supposed to be. This is a messenger from God, and it's God. God is speaking through a messenger, who is God? It's confusing, until you begin to fit it into a Trinitarian frame. And then you can see it. God's word, speaking to Moses, both as God and as a messenger from God. This story, and many others like it, when you read closely enough, might properly be understood as an appearance of Jesus. On earth, in spirit, thousands of years before his incarnation. But here's the overarching point. That Jesus is at work as part of the Trinity, even long before he arrived in a manger in Bethlehem. And the reason to bring this up this morning is because I think it will help us make sense of this very difficult to understand reading from Peter's first epistle. Let's read again what Peter says. Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, When God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities... And powers made subject to him. Woo! That's a mouthful. Peter begins with this relatively straightforward proclamation of the gospel. The substitutionary nature of Christ's death. Jesus suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. In order to bring you to God. But then he's going to expand out. Just how big an impact that substitutionary death had. It makes sense to us that it would have a lasting impact, right? Peter is writing about it after the fact. We read about it after the fact. It makes sense that people now can benefit from something that happened in the past. Christ's sacrificial death for you accomplished salvation. And by accepting it in faith, salvation can be yours. You accept for yourself something that has already happened. But Peter wants to go even bigger. Look at what he's doing here. Peter wants to say that anyone who has ever been saved has been saved by Jesus. He extends the power and efficacy of Jesus' saving work on the cross, both forward and backward in time. Remember the flood, he says, Noah's family, the one family that was saved when the world was destroyed, that salvation also happened on account of Christ. And do you know how we know that this counterintuitive thing, that Jesus's finished work on the cross is actually what saves people who live so many years before him? Do you know how we know it's true? Peter says, because Jesus was there. Wait, Jesus was there? What? Well, remember Chad Bird's principle. Jesus actually shows up in person in the Old Testament. And Peter here affirms it. He just does so in a difficult sentence. So let's keep the fact that Jesus is at work and sometimes even ministering in spirit on earth, keep that fact in mind and see what we can make of Peter's sentence. Here it is again. Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah... During the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Okay. Understanding both that Jesus can show up in person, and spirit, in the Old Testament, and that his saving power emanates from the cross, both forward and backward in time, we can understand now to whom Jesus is making this proclamation, what prison they're in, what these former times are, and how we sinners might be saved. So, let's read Peter back one more time in a kind of as-we-go translation into some plainer English. Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This is the same Spirit in which he had, in former times, actually come in person to minister on earth. In those former times, in this case, in the time of Noah, during the building of the ark, he made a proclamation to some spirits in prison. Who are these spirits? These are people, people who are now spirits because they are no longer alive on earth, who are now in prison, in hell, suffering, because in those former times they did not obey. These people heard the proclamation during Noah's time, the announcement of what was going to happen, the offer to believe in the word of God, but did not believe. The people who, Peter implies, saw Noah building the ark, heard his warning about God's judgment, and decided to live or die on their own. So, Noah's family, though, believed, were given the ark, and we're saved. Sum up. What is Peter saying here? He's saying that Jesus, in spirit, preached to pre-flood sinful humanity. And then by the ark, saved some. Jesus preached in spirit to pre-flood sinful humanity. And then by the ark, saved some. And so now we can return to Peter's first blessedly simpler gospel proclaiming sentence about Jesus and see the rest of the paragraph as an elucidation of it. Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. We have a savior who bears the sins of the world and it is his cross which saves anyone who will be saved no matter at what point in the history of the world they live or die. The success of Jesus' finished work on the cross can save both forward and backward in time forever. It is the work of Christ that saves. He chose Noah and gave him a boat. He chooses you and gives you baptism. (laughs) Our baptismal liturgy... Borrowing language from this passage in 1 Peter makes the connection to Noah plain. At a baptism service, we pray, Almighty and everlasting Father, in your great mercy, you saved Noah and his family in the ark from the destruction of the flood, prefiguring the sacrament of holy baptism. Look mercifully upon these, your servants, the people being baptized. Wash and sanctify them through your Holy Spirit, that they may be delivered from destruction and received into the ark of Christ's church, and being steadfast in faith, joyful through hope and rooted in love, they may pass through the turbulent floods of this troublesome world and come into the land of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Note that Peter wants to be clear that what we're doing when we baptize is more than just a cleaning up, a little washing behind the ears. Baptism, he says, which is prefigured by God's saving of Noah from the flood, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven And is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. We ask God in baptism to give us a good conscience. That is, to make us innocent. And how does he do that? By the death and resurrection of his son. That cataclysmic event that not only changed everything that happened afterward but changed everything that had happened before it, too. How do people get through the turbulent floods of this troublesome world and come into the land of everlasting life? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, by his finished saving work on the cross and resurrection three days later. Noah was saved by Jesus. The thief on the cross was saved by Jesus. You and I are saved by Jesus from beginning of time to the end. Salvation happens by Jesus Christ. And if you're hearing this for the first time this morning, you can be saved by Jesus too. In the church's very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, the same Peter who wrote this letter said, repent and be baptized. Go under the water a sinner and be raised up a saint. This is what Jesus has won on the cross for you. His righteousness for your sin. Jesus suffered four sins once for all, Peter writes. The righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. So come, be baptized. Put to death the you like the people who maybe sneered at Noah while he was building the ark. Put to death the you that would fend for yourself. And if you've been baptized already, reaffirm that faith as we say the creed here in a moment, because it's true. Jesus suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. It's true. And it's done. Jesus' work on the cross is finished, and it changed Everything from the beginning of time to the end of it. Jesus suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. Once for all, for you. Amen.